Good evening. If you would, please turn or open up your phones and open up your Bible apps to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1. I'll be preaching tonight from chapter 1 of 1 Peter, verses 10 through 12. I'll read it and then I'll pray for us that God would illuminate our hearts and our minds. Starting in verse 10, Peter writes, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is a light for us that shows us the way. Lord, we thank you that in your word you make us wise unto salvation, that we may know what it is that the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. We pray, O Lord, that we would dwell upon that great work that he has performed. Would you send your Holy Spirit to dwell with us, to lift up our hearts and our minds to this great truth? O Lord, I pray that you would overcome us by your goodness and show us in fresh ways how good you are to us. Pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen. I remember when I was somewhat of a child, or maybe a teenager would be a better um, description. I remember being a teenager and watching a certain kind of television show from time to time. I'm thinking particularly of a show called American Pickers, although there are other shows that are sort of similar to that one. Perhaps you know what I'm talking about. And the basic premise of a show like this is you had certain experts of American history or American culture, and they were going all around the country in search of rare items. They were trying to find very valuable things that were uh, culturally significant or worth a lot of money. And I always found the most interesting episodes were the episodes where they found someone who had something that was very valuable but who really had no idea that it was valuable at all. So, for example, it might be someone out in the middle of the country, out in the middle of nowhere, and they've got a shed out back with all sorts of junk in it that's just been sitting there for 40 or 50 years. And it isn't until the experts come and dig through this big pile that they find the diamond in the rough. And they see that they have something of tremendous value. And I always found that kind of interesting. That you or me could have something, perhaps in our attics, in our garages, that we think is junk, but if properly restored, if properly taken care of, could be worth a lot of money. An interesting principle that we don't see the value in something sometimes until the perspective of another person comes along and shows you how valuable what you have is. And I think this can be true of Christians as well. I think at some level, Christians to varying degrees or another can begin to forget how good the gospel 
of grace really is. We can forget just how amazing that grace is. And I think this helps us to see what the purpose of this text is tonight. Peter is bringing the perspectives of others about the gospel that you and I have. He shows us what they thought about the gospel. And I think this points to the ultimate purpose of this text, which is to analyze our hearts tonight. It's to analyze our hearts to see if we have grown cold to the gospel, to see if we have forgotten how good the gospel really is. This text is really about our own hearts. I'd like us to see this text in three different headings, uh, really, I should say, three different groups that Peter brings to bear, uh, each with a differing perspective on the gospel. The first group is the prophets, and the prophets searched for the gospel that you and I have. The second group is the apostles, and they declared this gospel that you have. And the third one, quite strangely, is the angels who long to see, to, who long to look into the gospel that we have. Let's start with the first group, the prophets who searched. Peter starts this text off by saying in verse 10, concerning this salvation, and we should just stop right there already. We need to remind ourselves what it is that Peter is talking about in this chapter. And what Peter has been doing is he has been systematically expounding the gospel for this church and showing them how valuable it is, showing them the implications of the gospel. He has summarized the gospel already for us in verses 3 through 5. If you don't have it in front of you, I'll read it. He says, By his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, that is undefiled and unfading, reserved in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power for the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And so when Peter comes to verse 10, and he says, concerning this salvation, it's almost as if he's stepping back and saying, you guys do see how incredible this is, right? You do see and grasp how amazing this gospel is. And if not, if, if you aren't grasping that, well, then let me show you what the prophets thought about the gospel that you now have. And so he turns to speak of the prophets. He says in verse 10, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. And we need to see here that Peter is giving us a very picturesque image. He's using very uh, vivid imagery to describe what it is that the prophets were doing all of the time. He first says that they were searching for the gospel. Uh, I want you to cast out of your mind the idea of a casual searching, uh, a searching that sort of doesn't require any energy. Rather, this word indicates a kind of searching that is exhaustive to you that is exerting all of your effort, that you're putting in all of your energy to find that which you are looking for. One way you could imagine this is to think about a time that you have been late to something really, really important. 
Have you ever been late for something really important and you lost your keys? What do you do in that instance, right? Do you sit down in your armchair and, and sort of put your hands right here and say, hmm, I wonder where my keys are. I don't think you do that. If you're anything like me, you run through the house. You're probably screaming and yelling. Does anybody know where my keys are? I need my keys. I need to find them. That's what the prophets are doing. They're searching. They're exerting their effort. It's a frantic effort. Well, Peter goes on. He says they're not just searching for the gospel, but they're inquiring carefully for it. And while we have one word picture with searching, we have a whole other word picture here with inquiring carefully. This has to do with an in-depth, thorough examination of something. You might imagine some kind of scholar who has locked himself away in a library. And you can imagine him sitting at a desk and he's surrounded by mountains of books. And one by one, he is pouring through these books, trying to find the answer to the question, that he's asking. Well, that's what they are doing. They're searching. They are inquiring for something. Well, what are they inquiring for? Well, they're searching, Peter tells us, for the grace that was to be yours. And then in verse 11, he takes that and he expands upon that idea, more specifically than just grace. He says they're inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings and the subsequent glories. So they're not just looking for the grace of God, but specifically the who of grace or the when of grace. And this, I think, shows us something that's really important that we need to see about the prophets. They understood that the grace of God was a person. They understood that the grace of God was a person who would come. They had, of course, the Old Testament scriptures, which they're principally searching through. And these Old Testament scriptures all throughout predicted that the grace of God would come in the form of a kind of person. That God would use some person for his means of salvation. They could see that this person was defined, as Peter reminds us, by suffering, by suffering, and then subsequent glory. They could, for example, go all the way back to the beginning of their Bibles, to Genesis 3.15, and they could see that one day the seed of the woman would come and that he would crush the head of the serpent. Though his heel be bruised, he would be victorious. They could go a little bit further in the Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 18, and they could see that a prophet like Moses would eventually come. But unlike Moses, this would be a prophet that the people actually listen to, that they actually follow. They could go to 2 Samuel 7. They could see David, the great king, and then see that a son even greater would come to sit on his throne. They could go to Isaiah, and they could see that God would use a servant who would come and who would die for the sins of his people. They could look to all of their Old Testament and see that it points to a person of God's grace. I think there's something for us to glean here. Do we read our Old Testaments in this way? Not the New Testament, but specifically the Old Testament, as pointing to Jesus Christ, the person of God's grace. Is the Old Testament something that we actively put effort 
into understanding? Could it be said of you that you search and inquire of what the Old Testament scriptures have to teach us? I think Charles Spurgeon puts this very, very well. Uh, It personally convicted me. He says, it should be our delight to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the doctrines of grace. Surely it must be a crime of crimes to be living in utter neglect of a salvation that gained the attentive mind of Daniel and Isaiah and Ezekiel. They're looking for that person of grace. Well, not only are they looking for that person, they wanted to see that person in their own time, the prophets did. But alas, that was not going to happen for them. Peter tells us this in verse 12. He says, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. And so the Holy Spirit, who had inspired the the scriptures that these prophets were searching through, that had inspired the prophecies that they uttered to the people, had also revealed to them that they would not see that person of grace. They would not see the one that God would sense. He was going to come later. He was going to come at the opportune time. And though they were saved by their faith in that one, they didn't get to see him. They didn't get to know exactly who he was, exactly what he would do. But you see what Peter's telling us. We do. We do get to see our Savior. We don't live in the same time as Jesus' earthly ministry, but we do have the New Testament scriptures, which fully reveal to us what it is that God is doing through Jesus Christ. We can actually behold our Savior to see who he was and what he did. This is such a blessing that I think sometimes we forget about. Not just to know that Jesus is coming, although we do know that, but to know that he has already come and that he's bought our salvation for us. Unlike the prophets, we can behold our Savior. Let's turn to the second group, which are the apostles. Take a look at verse 12. Peter writes, It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And so when Peter talks about those who preach the good news to you, who who is he thinking primarily about? He's thinking of the apostles. He's thinking not just of the apostles directly, but those under the apostles in the apostolic community. Think of your, your Tituses and your Timothys and so on. He's talking about those people who originally brought the gospel all the way from tiny Jerusalem, to the very ends of the earth. And one thing that we should be reminded of, and we saw in Pastor Greco's sermon this morning, was that that work was tremendously hard. That was a difficult task for the prophets, excuse me, the apostles to take upon themselves. We could look at the text Pastor Greco preached this morning, or we could take a look at another one in in the book of 2 Corinthians, in chapter 11, where Paul talks about all the sufferings that he faced just for preaching the gospel. There he gives this long list. He talks about imprisonments. He talks about being beaten. He talks about whippings. He talks about being stoned and shipwrecked. He talks about dealing with robbers, being hungry, going without, being exhausted. 
He talks about danger in the city, danger outside of the city, danger from Gentiles, danger from Jews. Basically, everywhere he went, there was danger for him. What was the point of telling us all that? Because none of it actually mattered. It was all for the sake of the gospel. It was all for you and me. Because we needed to hear that message. That gospel message was more important than their very lives. And they knew that. I wonder, have we delighted in that gospel that costs so much today? If you've delighted in that gospel today, then be like the apostles. Declare that message to those around you. Rather, orient your life around telling your friends and your family about the good news of Jesus Christ. Tell others about the hope that lies within you. Preach to them the good news. I want to look now at the third group, the angels who long to look into what we have. This is the last group that Peter mentions, and I think it's the one that really grabs our attention. Um, This is because angels are mysterious. The Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about them. We don't have some extended section of scripture which which gives us an angelology or a, a teaching of what they are exhaustively. Yet even though we don't know much about them, scripture assumes that they are ever-present, that they're um, in some ways all around us, that they're watching, that they're serving uh, the Lord. We also know that angels are not like us. They didn't corporately fall into sin or fall away from the grace of God, and as a result, they don't die. And so they've existed ever since the beginning of creation. Now, just as a sort of thought experiment, I think it would be helpful for us to consider from the point of view of the angels for just a moment. Consider their point of view as they've watched humanity progress ever since we've existed, and they have existed as well. Angels saw the fall. They saw when God's good creatures, Adam and Eve, not just good, but the best creature that God had made, the creatures made in his image. They watched as those very creatures turned and rebelled against God and turned against him. They saw later on what it was like at the time of the flood. They saw how corrupt humanity was how rotten we were, how sinful we were. And they saw God pour out his wrath in the flood. He could go a little bit further. They saw the Tower of Babel. They saw how arrogant humanity is. They saw how we are prideful and how we want to make a name for ourselves. We want to deny God his glory and keep it for ourselves. They saw that. And yet, what do they see in the meantime? That again and again... God shows grace to these humans. And then after some amount of time, they see something very stunning to them. They see that the eternal Son of God comes to this earth and takes on human flesh. The second person of the Trinity living as a man and then dying on a cross. Not just dying, but dying a pitiful death on a cross. And I can't help but imagine that the angels are thinking to themselves, what in the world is God doing? You see, the gospel amazes them. Peter tells us this by once again using 
very vivid imagery. He says in verse 12 that these are things into which angels long to look. We could focus on that word long for just a moment. It, it has to do with having a strong desire for something, a burning desire within you. You want to have it. You can imagine someone stuck in the desert, and they're so hot, and they want water. They long for water. Well, the angels are longing for the gospel. We might think, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense to us. The angels aren't sinful. The angels don't need to be forgiven of anything. Why do they long for the gospel then? And I think the answer is this. The gospel is so much more than just the forgiveness of sins. The gospel is to be united to that person of grace that the prophets foretold of. It's to be united to Jesus himself so that the Christian dies with Christ dies to his sin, but also lives gloriously with him through his resurrection. And so in heaven, the Christian will know more of the glory of God than even the angels will. They will know it more fully than even the angels will. I think one other pastor puts it very, very well. He says this about the angels. He says, they don't know what it is to have sin forgiven. They don't know what it is to be adopted as a child of God. They don't know what it is to have the spirit of Christ dwell in their hearts, to be sanctified by grace, to stumble and fall, and only meet with the patience of a holy God who by his grace picks us up from the dust and dusts us off and empowers us to press on and persevere till we cross the finish line. They don't know what that's like. They will never know what it's like to be swept up at last into the glory of the children of God. You see that? The angels can't imagine what the grace of God is like. They can't imagine what it feels like to be forgiven of all that you have done against your creator. We see that they long for the gospel, but they also are longing to look is another very vivid word. It has to do with peeking at something, but out of curiosity or out of excitement for it, almost peeking at something from the outside looking in. You can imagine here a child who is very, very tempted just to peek at a Christmas gift under the tree. They know they're not getting it, but just a peek. They want to know what is in that gift. And this shows us once again that the gospel captures the curiosity of the angels. It amazes them. They are marveling at the, the grace that God has to share. And once again, I, I can't help but wonder if the angels look at us and wonder, why do we not marvel the way that they marvel at God's grace? I said at the beginning of this sermon that I think this text is really about our heart. That this text analyzes us. It, it asks the question, have we grown cold to the gospel? It asks us questions about our love for God and his gospel. This text reminds us that the gospel is to be our one and only treasure. Just like the man that Jesus described in Matthew 13, where he says, This man 
finds a treasure hidden in a field. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Have we neglected our treasure? Are we guilty of denying ourselves the delight of the gospel? Have we ceased to delight in Christ and what he has done for us? Perhaps our worship has diminished over the years, either here in church or at home with our families. Perhaps we've come to lose interest in God's word where we really just don't want to read and to study it anymore. If that describes us tonight, then we need to repent. We need to let God's word and his spirit recapture our hearts and our minds. And I think if you're hearing this description of, of the grace of God and you think to yourself, I, I've never treasured the gospel before. I've never delighted in who Jesus is or what he's done for me. Then perhaps you don't know Jesus Christ. Perhaps you need to know what it is that the gospel is all about. And if so, it's my duty to tell you that. Jesus is the eternal son of God. He came and he lived for you and he died for you. And should you trust him, your sins will certainly be forgiven. Should you trust in him, you will dwell with the prophets, with the apostles, with the angels, and even with God himself for all eternity. Brothers and sisters, that is the good news. Amen? Amen. Let us pray.